Hello F1 fans and welcome to F1 On and Off the Track with Kim Illman. You can see his photos at ProStarPicks.com or read his latest F1 blog at KimIllman.com. My name is Adrian and in this episode we're talking about the second event of the year. It's the Bahrain Grand Prix. How are you doing today, Kim? I'm excited because I go away tomorrow. Yeah, so you're leaving tomorrow for Bahrain. I am. Excellent. So, talking about your travels, how does your travels usually go getting to places like this? Well, our, our work day starts, uh, our work week starts on a Thursday, and uh, we shoot Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, except for Monaco, which is a little bit different by a day. Hmm. I normally leave uh, to arrive on the Wednesday afternoon and uh, settle in. Maybe go out to the track on a Wednesday afternoon and get a locker in the media centre, get my tabards, get the parking pass and just get the lay of the land if it's a new track. Mm -hmm. And then um, Thursday, off we go. So I I go uh, Emirates, I think, tomorrow morning, uh, 6am, and there's a couple of hour layover in Dubai, and then it's an hour flight, grab a taxi to the um, downtown Rotana, and it's... It's just a, a nice hotel in the middle of town. Is Bahrain one of the shorter or longer flights you would take? Yeah, it's um, mid-ground, Okay. which for the Europeans, it's a long trip. It's five or six hours. Mm. But for me, it's a mid one. And my longest one is 35 hours to Canada or Mexico. So you've obviously been to Bahrain before in previous events. What's it like there? Yeah, I went both last year and the year prior. Look, it reminds me of a small Dubai, not quite as flash and glitzy, uh, I do happen to know that the Saudis often come over from um, their country across the causeway and uh, party up or, or, or in Bahrain. It's a pretty liberal sort of Arab country, mm-hmm. good people. Um, I'm not sure that they really love Formula One. I think the race itself is more for television. The interesting thing, too, is that uh, they have the race on a Sunday, as, as is the norm with F1. Yeah. But Sunday is the equivalent of Monday. In that country. Oh, okay. So it's like having uh, a race on a Monday somewhere in uh, a normal Western culture, but of course their weekend is Friday and Saturday. So does that affect maybe the crowd numbers that go to the event? I think it would. Yeah. Uh, Look, the track itself, all the seating is in one half of the circuit. So it's all along the pit straight, and just behind it there's another grandstand there. So once you get to the back of the track, there's no one out there. Okay. It's quite remarkable that there are not too many tracks like that where you get no one for a good half the track. But it's also a positive because you get nice clean backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, there's some beautiful shots to be had there. Uh, uh, weather-wise, it's, um, it can be very hot. I remember two years ago on the Thursday, oh my gosh, it was unbearable. 44 degrees in the afternoon Jeez. session. Yeah, uh, and I come from Perth where it gets hot, but I remember putting my camera down and shooting with one camera, and if you had your hand on the camera, that was fine. But then I went to swap cameras and picked it up. I couldn't hold the thing. It was red hot. (laughs) Too hot. And it's so hot that they have to have these little air-conditioned huts every couple of hundred metres along the track, which would be a metre and a quarter wide by maybe four metres long and um, probably two and a half metres high. And they're just air conditioning boxes. Mm. You just go in there and get some respite from this horrible heat. But it, the race, uh, now I think it's a, a week earlier this year, uh, and luckily I've seen the forecast, 24 to 28 every day. Well, that's much better than 44. It's unbelievable because it's those last 20 degrees. They're the hot ones. When it gets as hot as 44, do you have to like stop shooting for a little bit? No, I think, I think it's just way uncomfortable and you just keep shooting. You, I, I do actually remember going into those air-conditioned huts for a couple of minutes just for a, uh, a drink and um, yeah. shared it with the, the local marshals. And look, when they're in there, 
and that these guys are used to this through their summer because it gets to over 50 you know it's damn hot mm. which it was and uh, I don't know how the drivers get by my gosh oh. it must be 70 degrees yeah. in that car uh, the only saving factor is it's dry heat, unlike Singapore, which is uh, quite humid. Yeah. So weather-wise, uh, I'm thankful that it's looking to be a beautiful time uh, for the next four days. And I think um, yeah, crowd-wise is also interesting too because y- you get a lot of locals, but it's I think it's probably got a huge percentage of international visitors that come from everywhere. Okay. To because uh, I'm really not sure that the locals are that wrapped up in it. Mm. The track itself is probably 30 minutes from the heart of town. It's along a freeway. I always remember it being quite dusty in the air. Um, and of course, if you have a sandstorm, <laughs> then it could be anything. Okay. Being a night race, well, it actually starts at dusk and then goes into night. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a little bit cooler at night, thankfully, and it does give you the opportunity to shoot under lights, which uh, can be a challenge, but it also can offer some real opportunities and and in particular the trees around the circuit are wrapped in fairy lights Mm. i saw some photos of that from last year they're very beautiful they are and um i've seen lots of photos where photographers work those trees into it and really you have to i had a crack last year with some of the shots where you get the lights uh, very close the fairy lights out of focus and big round rings in the foreground and cars in the background but i'm always on the lookout for how other people use them because Mm. um the guys that have been doing this for 20 years have done probably everything. Yeah. And I'm looking to do everything, but of course I've only done two years, so I'm probably behind the eight ball. It's also because it's a night, dusk kind of time. I hate the sparks can be really great. Yeah, obviously if it's really bright sunshine, the sparks don't um, appear quite as bold and um, out there. But yes, with darkness behind, it's quite magnificent. And I do remember second lap last year, there was a triple overtake in the main straight, and I was still up on the um, first turn stand. So I get these three cars coming towards me. All three are sparking. Really sharp shot, quite beautiful. Of course, the trick when you're shooting sparks is if you want the car really sharp, you have to shoot at a high shutter speed, Mm -hmm. which means that the sparks are little dots. Yeah. If you want lines, which is possible, you've got to shoot at a slower shutter speed. But now the car's out of... Well, yeah, it can be. The really good photographers are great panning photographers, so they can pan perfectly with the car's speed. So that's a practised art. And, uh, look, I've got it right a couple of times. Look, you do enough of it and you'll get it right. But you obviously want to get it every tenth shot instead of every fiftieth. But, yes, that uh, leading down to the first corner is quite magnificent in terms of sparks. When the cars are heavy... Uh, and that's normally early on in the race, obviously, yeah. and in early on in practice sessions. So there are three, uh, no, there's FP1 and 2, one's in the afternoon, one's in the evening. Mm-hmm. Then the next day, of course, Saturday, we have uh, qualifying, which is in the evening, but the third practice session is in late afternoon. So I'll probably do the pits late afternoon there, and uh, the race is uh, at, what is it, 6.10, I think it starts. And then I race straight to the airport afterwards for a midnight flight back to Australia, which is what a lot of the drivers do. They don't tend to stay around much after the race. They're just, let's get out of there quick smart. Yeah, fair enough. Um, So what's the paddock like there? And we just had Melbourne. How does it compare to like that kind of paddock and and feel and ambience with everybody? It's completely different. Okay. Uh, They have these permanent houses, uh, two-storey townhouses on one side. That's where all the teams have their hospitality suites. They're air-conditioned, quite palatial, beautiful gardens out the front with grass, steps leading up to them. Then there's a lovely wide paddock with little squares of um, trees. What would they be? Palm trees? I'm not much of an arborist. 
called a culturalist, but uh, they're in little sections with grass around the bottom, so there's shade, a very wide paddock, and all the trees are wrapped in fairy lights. Mm. Now, that's a beautiful thing because when the drivers do their pen interviews for the TV, they do them inside this uh, courtyard on grass where all the trees around it have fairy lights, so you can work those shots of fairy lights and drivers together. And I remember last year when one of my photographer mates just, I don't know, it was the first year, grabbed me and moved me across about half a metre and said, this is the spot, mate, this is the <laughs> spot, which, of course, I'm always grateful for. Yeah, it's really nice helping you out getting those really nice shots early yeah. on. Yeah. F1 On and Off the Track is presented by ProStarPix.com. Stunning F1 photos live from the track, searchable and downloadable for personal or editorial use. Head to ProStarPix.com at the end of this podcast. So Thursday at, at Bahrain brings the track walk, which I hear some drivers do and some don't attend. Why would they do this and what's the kind of importance of the walk? Well, I think if Daniel had done a track walk in Melbourne for race <laughs> one and picked up the fact that there was that concrete path, that might have saved him yes, some grief. Yes. Now, Daniel doesn't do a track walk, neither does Max Verstappen. Lewis doesn't. Valtteri doesn't. Seb does. Every race does it. Charles Leclerc does it. Uh, and then you go down the list, and I think most of the bottom guys do it. I can't think of one. Oh, Alonso didn't do it, but of course he's not there this year. So it's vital, especially for the new guys, to get around and have a look and see physically how high is that sausage curb on exit of turn six, and and you know, what what might this grate do uh, if if I hit this at speed. Mm. So it is a great opportunity for us to get shots and. Um, a smart photographer, and I'd like to think sometimes uh, I am that, will wait at a certain spot because you might have a, a Melbourne sign or a, a Bahrain sign or something typical, and you can get the driver in front of that because in photography, it's all about the background and the foreground to, to that respect as well. So yeah, it's a valuable thing to go out on that track walk. I do remember when, that day it was 40, 40 before the Friday where it was 44. It was just unbearable out there because you're standing on the concrete yeah. waiting for these drivers. And then sometimes I like to lie down on the ground and shoot low. You couldn't do it. You just come out with scorch marks on your legs. So Bahrain has a unique little thing where they bring out Falcons for the event beforehand for some like photo ops and then on the race day. Is it, do you get yeah. any, have you had any cool photos from that? Oh, yeah. They're, they're quite beautiful birds. And uh, the local guys will be there in their beautiful white outfits and have their glove on. And the, the falcon will just sit on their arm or hand or finger, wherever they put it, on their shoulder. And uh, you, you, you can just take as many shots as you want. And quite a spectacular animal. So, yeah, it's it's a lovely thing that, you know, I guess Australia, we could probably bring a koala out there perhaps. But, um, yeah, this, this looks great. Um, I photographed it for the last couple of years. There's a function actually on the Wednesday night, but I won't get there in time for that. That's always a lovely invitation-only thing for media to go down to the paddock on a Wednesday night, and they throw on this beautiful feed, and you get to meet the locals, uh, and that's where I first found the falcon, which was an impressive animal. That's very cool. Speaking of some very cool stuff, the track has a very colourful zone between turn seven and eight uh, that I hear photographers love. Yeah. It's a little bit like France, where you have the lines on the road. Uh, however, these are coloured and um, are not a uniform size. But mm. you can stand in certain spots on the... Uh, I can't even remember the corner. But, yeah, we stand there and we, we pan with the cars and you get beautiful colours in the foreground, beautiful colours in the background, the car right in the middle. There's also a shot where you turn just left of that and they come over a crest and behind it is this white... I don't even know what it is. It looks like some sort of satellite thing up on a hill. But it's quite moonscapey. 
And you see the, the red dirt of the surrounding countryside, the tarmac, the car, and this white dome. There's also another spot right around the back, right-hand side of the circuit, where there's these huge rock cliffs Then you can shoot uh, where you get the rock cliff, perhaps left-hand half of the frame, and on the right-hand half of the frame you have um, the car itself. So, yeah, there's lots of opportunities, and luckily for us as photographers, there's a bus that runs around, so you can hop off the bus at turn one and shoot there for half an hour, grab a bus, takes you five minutes to get to the end of the track, and, and you're, um, you're shooting away like the other day in Melbourne when I had to spend 12 minutes of the race walking from one spot mm. to the other. That's wasted time. Yeah, Bahrain's very convenient like that. They've got the, the air-conned booths and they've also got these buses. They must seem to really support the photographers and the media around the, the F1. Yeah, I, I think they really embrace what it does for their country and shows it off to the world. Mm. And I don't think they're short of a quid, quite frankly. So, um, yeah, and the media centre is quite glorious. Air-conditioned, really nice. Uh, uh, the complete opposite of Melbourne, which is just... Um, it's like a tent with some wooden flooring raised about a foot off the ground. And every time someone walks past you, it's like you're sitting on a trampoline. So this is the complete opposite end, uh, quite a beautiful media centre. So at last year's event, there was a moment where Verstappen drove headfirst into a wall after turn two. And I think you got some photos of that. Well, I actually got photos of him getting out of the car because we heard it. We heard this screech and then a bang, and a few of us looked at each other, and we were just around the corner just before uh, Turn 1, and this was at the exit of Turn 1 and maybe even going into Turn 2, which is not that far away, maybe 150 metres away. So we just sprinted with a couple of lenses and yeah, got shots of poor Max getting out of the car, and he was none too happy, as you can well imagine. What do you, I can't even remember where that... That was in qualifying, I think. Okay. Yeah, for memory. It was at night, I know that much. Yeah. In my head, I'm just imagining all the photographers pushing each other the way, wanting to get the best possible photo. Well, there's not that many of us out there. There might have been five or six at okay. that time. If it's in the paddock and Lewis has just won a championship, that is brutal. Mm. That's elbows out and uh, do not give up an inch. It's and a friend of mine um, got himself a fairly healthy whack across the nose from a TV camera, which may well have needed stitches. It certainly bled quite Ooh. magnificently. But, of course, he kept shooting because he had to because yeah. Lewis only wins the championship once a year. Yeah, that's true. So let's take a step back from Bahrain in particular. Let's talk about the F1 in general. And for those who aren't aware, there are there are strict rules around how you photograph F1 and being accredited. Uh, what kinds of things can and can't you do? Well, you can't take any video. As a photographer. As a photographer, we're not allowed to take any moving pictures. And certainly you can't post them. If you're stupid enough to take them, you certainly can't post them. You can't record any audio. So you can't even record the sound of a car going past you. You can't record a, a chat with your photography mate if you're going to do a blog. You can't do any of that inside the circuit. Outside the circuit, you're fine. But, uh, yeah, so we, we're all very mindful of that, that it would be foolish to go and do that. Because somebody suggested, stick a GoPro on, you get some vis video on the top of your lens and, and you get sh shots as well can't do it. No, is that a separate accreditation you have to get for audio and video or is that restricted to... Like no, I think that's for paid. I think TV stations would pay okay. a fee and that would be part of their uh, accreditation to do that sort of thing. Um, there's some unwritten rules too, like uh, if we happen to go into one of the hospitality suites for a snack or something to eat, you, you wouldn't dare photograph anyone in there because that's a private getaway from an area. Mm. And if you did and you were silly enough to do it, I imagine you wouldn't be invited back again. But in terms of everything else, you can shoot whatever you want that's in the general area, uh, certainly anything in the paddock, 
if people are having lunch outside on their balcony, oftentimes there'll be three or four photographers just milling around. And I don't know what it's like for these drivers and team principals to be having a, a serious chat. And there's four blokes, five blokes and a couple of women wandering around trying to get the perfect angle. But, um, yeah, I think they're used to it now. So that's just the deal. That's just what they get when they're in the in the F1 industry, I suppose. It is. Um, so you're, you're also an avid user of Instagram. How do you use it and what's your experience like on it? Yeah, look, I always resisted Instagram because I knew Facebook pretty well. Mm. But uh, when I started doing this caper, I thought, right, well, everyone else is on Instagram. And what, I'm passionate about it now. I'm passionate about growing this audience. So I tend to know that for, for my photography, pictures of drivers perhaps in interesting situations do better than nice pictures of cars because I tend to write a backstory about it and the things that interest me and surprise me, I figure, well, maybe the person looking at this on their phone would find this interesting too. So hence, I, um, I, I tend to pick stuff that interests me and I will talk about what happened and I post like on Thursday to Sunday, I'll post four and five times a day mm. because there's this tremendous af- appetite of of what's going on out there and I have uh, some commercial arrangements with other people that take my images um, but yeah it's I've grown that audience to I know seven and a half thousand now and I think I can probably get it to 20,000 maybe by the end of the year if I work my bum off and um, I'm planning to do a book on yeah, F1 so okay. that would be a great opportunity to market a book to uh, an audience that perhaps has grown to like the sort of stuff that I shoot. Do you have any details for about the book for us right now? No, uh, I've got a rough idea in my head, but that could well change. So uh, much the same as with Africa on Safari when I produced that. What I started out thinking at the start turned out to be um, reasonably different to what the end product was. But I keep looking at that book and uh, I might go six months without looking at it. I'll pick it up and go through it with someone. I think, yeah, that's a pretty good book. I expect it should be an excellent book because you do do uh, pre- and post-race blogs at kimillman.com. How do you find those are received? Yeah, very well. Uh, funnily enough, it's always the pre-race blog that does way better than the post-race blog. Okay. And I don't know why, because I post on a Thursday night after the first day, because mm-hmm. it's media day and there's lots of content to put up. And I was doing it every night of the four-day weekend, but it became just simply too much. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, to a certain extent, these will also take the place of some of that content, because it's easier to talk than it is to write, because it will often take me an hour and a half to put together a blog mm. when you've got to pick pictures and marry up text and make numerous changes to it. So yeah, I quite like the, the podcasts. <laughs> well, thank you very much. How do you decide what photos and what stories to put into the blog? Okay, so what have I posted recently? A nice shot of Charles Leclerc with his visor up as he's coming down the pits. Shots of Daniel in the car, thumbs up, nice framing, rich colours, uh, obviously, if you get a crash, you put that up yes. or any sort of incident. Look, it's pretty much whatever I think is interesting, I think the punters will find it interesting yeah. as well. And if the beauty of Instagram is you get this instant feedback. If suddenly you're getting you know, 10 likes a minute for my, for my audience, that's good. If I'm getting three likes a minute, that's not so good. So I'll tend to gravitate towards, say, Daniel, um, Charles Leclerc, Uh, Seb Vettel. So I would have thought Lewis would have done a whole lot better, but maybe I just haven't got that audience that loves Lewis. Mm. Because I I think people like Seb Vettel News promote my stuff. So maybe I get a whole lot of Seb Vettel fans from that, and then Charles Leclerc puts something up, and I get a whole lot of his fans. So it it tends to change depending on who's put what up of, of pictures that they like. Do you have any closing thoughts as we come to the end of this episode? Yeah, I'm just 
I'm excited about the opportunity that shooting at night in Bahrain provides with the uh, fairy lights, with the opportunity to slow pan shots and, and, and get all those lights making big long lines. That excites me and uh, it's just a matter of doing enough of it and being so well organised with the right lenses and being in the right spot at the right time that uh, yeah, I, I expect to be better than last year. And like every race I do, I'm looking for improvement. Will it just be you photographing this time? It'll just be me photographing this time, which, which it allows me with Tyler coming along to get a few more shots. But, uh, yeah, I can't take him to all events, and uh, he's lucky to have been to Melbourne because it's nice and easy for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to see the photos you produce from Bahrain. To see any of the photos we've talked about today, head over to ProStarPix.com or KimIllman.com. You can also stay updated by following Kim on Instagram at KimIllman. If you like what you heard here today, please give us a review and remember to hit subscribe to stay posted for our next episode, which will be the post-race breakdown. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on and off the track. F1 on and off the track was presented by ProStarPix.com. Stunning F1 photos live from the track, searchable and downloadable for personal or editorial use. ProStarPix.com. Head there now.